I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Well, the job hunt is on, uh, and it sucks. The economy apparently isn't doing well enough where people want to hire anymore. Uh, probably because most companies are doing furloughs and layoffs, like I experienced. So finding a job is not going to be the easiest thing I've ever done. But this is me being positive. Uh, did you hear it? That was it. It was pretty exciting. I spent the day having a personal care day. I should have been working, but instead I decided to rake my yard and try not to think about impending doom. And that worked for a while. Uh, then I took a shower. And then I got into a, an argument with a friend of mine. Uh, he's a headhunter. And he heard that I lost my job, so he called. And we talked. And he's always been into conspiracy theories uh, ever since I've known him. Uh, it's kind of started off with your basics, like the Illuminati. And then the, the 9-11 was an inside job. And everything like that. Uh, Whitney Houston, uh, she didn't die of an overdose. She was assassinated. And it's moved on to QAnon, I found out recently. I haven't talked to him in like four years. Uh, he's a big QAnon guy. Boy, did he talk to me about QAnon. And how I'm a moron that I don't believe in it. And uh, like always, I have to... Uh, Except some big accusations or statements uh, on faith. And if I ask for any kind of proof, he tells me to go look it up. It's been that way forever. Uh, we always have the same back and forth. Uh, if I ever say, uh, well, what about what I heard in the news? He'll say, that's all not true. Uh, you can't trust them. They're mainstream news. And I say, well, where are you getting your information from? And it's just people on the internet and videos on YouTube. That's where he's getting his information from. We have no baseline of truth. Like, we can't agree on what's true. Every time I say something, you say it's not true. And then you say something, and it's totally true. That went on for an hour. I literally just got off the phone with him. That's the reason why I'm talking about it. So, I guess I should be thankful for him in my life for giving me a good distraction uh, from the uh, smaller, clearly less important things in life. Because, dag nabbit, uh, Trump's going to go out and catch all the pedophiles. And uh, within weeks, he's telling me, we should see something big happen. And it's going to be crazy. So with that, uh, I think we should dive into finishing this story, which I hated. And it's more pages. And I got a friend coming over, so I'm going to try and cram this through as fast as I can uh, before he comes over. Uh, I know it's a good 20-some pages. With my luck, it's probably 40 more. Who knows? Ugh. All right, let's go.
So, uh, where do we leave off last time with the Haunted and the Haunters, or whatever this is called? Uh, it started out pretty good. Uh, kind of your average, run-of-the-mill, uh, turn-of-the-last-century novel about, uh, a man who is taking on the challenge of staying in a haunted house. And no one's been able to stay there, they all go insane. And so he's gonna do it, and he brings along his trusty friend, and uh, they have a haunted house experience, which is super creepy. They learn a little bit about the past, uh, where a woman was writing uh, or receiving love letters from a, a lover and or husband, saying they'll never catch us, implying a murder. And uh, so then now you understand where the evil comes in the house. And then, uh, you know, ghostly stuff happens. His dog gets killed. It uh, was all pretty good. And I was like, oh, this is turning out to be a, a decent ghost story. And then he went off on a big, long speech about how ghosts aren't real, but living consciousness in a room in the building is real, and that's just scientific. Which is ridiculous, because a living consciousness being in a room in the building, if you just get rid of that room, uh, you'll stop the hauntings, is just as realistic as a ghost being there. Uh, and that went on for pages and pages and pages and pages. And now it's suddenly the story's not ending. We've got a good 20 more uh, pages of, uh, they're going to tear the room off the house? <laughs> and I guess more story's going to happen after that? Uh, I'm only finishing this because, dang it, I started it. So let's get into the story. The Haunted and the Haunters by Edward Bulwer-Lytton, Part 2. Uh, Mr. J-Dash added that he had passed an hour alone in the unfurnished room which I had urged him to destroy, and that his impressions of dread while there were so great, uh, though he had neither heard nor seen anything, uh, that he was eager to have the walls barred and the floors... Oh, I already read this already, as I had suggested... He had engaged persons for the work and would commence any day I would name. The day was accordingly fixed. I repaired uh, the haunted house. and We went to the blind, dreary room, took up the skirting, and then the floors. And under the rafters, covered with rubbish, was found a trap door, quite large enough to admit a man. It was closely nailed down with uh, clamps and rivets of iron. On removing those, uh, we descended into the room below, the existence of which had never been suspected. In this room, uh, there had been a window, oh, and a flue, and had been uh, bricked over, evidently for many years. By the help of candles, we examined this place. It still retained some moldering furniture, uh, uh, three chairs, uh, an oak settle, uh, a table, all of the fashion of about uh, 80 years ago. There's a chest of drawers against the wall in which we found, uh, half rotted away, old-fashioned articles of a man's dress, such as might have been worn uh, 80 or 100 years ago by a gentleman of some rank. Costly steel buckles and buttons, uh, like those yet worn in court dresses. A handsome uh, court sword in a waistcoat, which had once been rich with gold lace, but which was now blackened and foul with damp. We found five guineas. Oh, God, they're just listing off everything. A few silver coins and an ivory ticket. Probably some place of entertainment long since passed away. But our main discovery was in a kind of iron safe fixed to the wall, uh, the lock of which it cost us much trouble to get picked. In this safe, 
Uh, There were three shelves and two small drawers. Ranged on the shelves were several small bottles of crystal, hermetically stopped. They contained colorless, volatile essences. With what nature, I shall say no more than that they were not poisons. Uh, Phosphor and ammonia entered into some of them. Uh, There was also some very curious glass tubes uh, and a small uh, pointed rod of iron with a large lump of rock crystal and another of amber, also a lodestone of great power. He's just listing off stuff again. In one of the drawers, we found a miniature portrait set in gold and retaining the freshness of its colors, most remarkably, uh, considering the length of time it had probably been there, the portrait was that of a man who might be somewhat advanced in middle age, perhaps 47 or 48. Oh, I'm 46. It was a most peculiar face, a most impressive face. Oh, a 47-year-old man can have an impressive face. If you could fancy some mighty serpent transformed into man. (sighs) Preserving in the human liniments the old serpent type. You could have had a better idea of that countenance uh, than long descriptions can convey. The width and flatness of frontal, the tapering elegance of contour, disguising the strength of the deadly jaw, the long, large, terrible eye, glittering in green as the emerald, and with all a certain ruthless calm, uh, as if from the consciousness of an immense power. Uh, the strange thing was this. The instant I saw the miniature, I recognized a startling likeness to one of the rarest portraits in the world. The portrait of a man, of a rank only below that of royalty, who in his own day had made a considerable noise. History says little or nothing of him. But search the correspondence of his contemporaries, and you find reference to his wild daring, his bold pro-flagrancy, his restless spirit, his taste of the occult sciences. While still in the Meridian of life, he died and was buried, so say the Chronicles, in a foreign land. He died in in time to escape the grasp of the law. For he was accused of crimes which would have given him to the headsman. After his death, all the portraits of him, which had been numerous, for he had been a munificent encourager of art, were bought up and uh, destroyed. It was supposed uh, by his heirs, (laughs) who might have been glad that they had raised his very name from their splendid line. He had enjoyed vast wealth. A large portion of this was believed to have been embezzled by a favorite astrologer or soothsayer of all events. It had uncommonly vanished this time of his death. The portrait alone of him was supposed to have escaped the general destruction. I had seen it in the house for a collector some months before. It had made me, on occasion, a wonderful impression. As it does on all who behold it, a face never to be forgotten. And there was that face in the miniature that lay within my hand. True... That in the miniature, the man uh, was a few years older than in the portrait I had seen, or uh, than the original uh, was even at the time of his death. Uh, but a few years, exclamation point. Why, between the date in which it was flourished at the direful noble and the date in which the miniature was evidently painted, there was an interval of more than two centuries. While I was thus gazing, silent and wondering, uh, Mr. J. Dash said, uh, That is impossible. I have known this man. How? Where? I cried. Uh, In India. He was high in the confidence of the Raja of Dash. Didn't even put a a letter at the beginning of that. And well nigh drew him into a revolt, which would have lost the Raja uh, his dominions. The man was a clever Frenchman, and his name was De V-Dash. Clever, uh, bold, lawless. 
We insisted on his dismissal and banishment. It must be the same man. Uh, no two faces like his. Yet this miniature seems uh, nearly a hundred years old. Mechanically, I turned round the miniature to examine the back of it. And on the back was engraved a pentacle. In the middle of the pentacle, a ladder. And the third step of the ladder was formed by the date 1765. Examining... Still more minutely, I detected a sprig. This, on being pressed, opened the back of the miniature as a lid. Uh, with inside the lid was engraved, Mariana, to thee, be faithful in life and in death to dash. Here follows a name which I will not mention, of course, because he put a dash there. It was not unfamiliar to me. I had heard it spoken of by old men in my childhood as the name borne by a dazzling charlatan who had made a great sensation in London uh, for a year or so and then fled the country on the charge of double murder within his own house, that of his mistress and of his rival. Yeah, I said nothing of this to Mr. J. Dash, uh, who... To whom reluctantly I resigned the miniature, we had found no difficulty in opening the first drawer uh, within the iron safe. We found great difficulty uh, in opening the second. It was not locked, but it resisted all efforts till we listened to the chinks, the edge of the chisel. Uh, when we had thus drawn it forth, uh, we found a very singular apparatus in the nicest order. Upon a small thin book, or rather tablet, was placed a saucer of crystal. This saucer was filled with a clear liquid. Of the liquid floated a kind of compass, with a needle shifting rapidly around. But instead of the uh, usual points of a compass, uh, which were seven strange characters, uh, not very unlike those used by astrologers to denote the planets, oh, a very peculiar but not strong nor displeasing odor came from the drawer, which was lined with the wood that we afterwards discovered to be hazel. Whatever the cause of this odor produced a material effect on the nerves. Oh, we all felt it. Even the two workmen who were in the room, a, a creeping, tingling sensation from the, from the tips of the fingers to the roots of the hair. Impatient to examine the tablet, I removed the saucer, and as I did so, the needle of the compass went round and round with exceeding swiftness, and I felt a shock that ran through my whole frame, so that I dropped the saucer uh, on the floor. Uh, the liquid was spilt, uh, the saucer was broken, and the compass rolled to the end of the room. And at that instant, the walls shook and to and fro as if a giant had swayed and rocked them. The two workmen were so frightened uh, that they ran up the ladder, uh, ha, ha, by which they had descended in the trap door. But seeing that nothing more had happened, uh, they were easily induced to return. Uh, scared cats. What are you scared of? Meanwhile, I had opened the tablet that uh, was bound in a plain red leather with a silver clasp. It contained one of the sheets of thick vellum, and on that sheet were inscribed, just step by step, <laughs> just tell us what's on the sheet, were inscribed within a double pentacle, words in old monkish Latin, which are literally to be translated thus, On all that it can reach within these walls, sentient or inanimate, living or dead, as moves the needle, so work my will. Accursed be the house, and restless be the dwellers therein. Yeah, we found no more, uh, but J-Dash burnt the tablet and its ethia. He raised to the foundations the part of the building containing the secret room with the chamber over it, and he had then the courage to inhabit the house himself uh, for a month. And uh, a quieter, better-conditioned house could not be found in all of London. Subsequently, uh, he led it to an advantage, and his tenant made no complaints. Hmm. Well, my story is not yet done. Yeah, we know. A few days after Mr. J-Dash 
had removed into the house, I paid him a visit, and we were standing by the open window and uh, conversing. A van, containing some articles of furniture, which he was moving from his former house, was at the door. I had just urged him uh, on my, my theory that all these phenomena regarded as a super mundane and emanated from a human brain, adducing the charm, or rather curse, that we had found and destroyed in support of my philosophy. What's your philosophy? That a man did magic to make ghosts happen? <laughs> so you destroyed the magic? What happened to the big brain? Mr. J-Dash was observing in reply, uh, quote, that even in uh, if mesmerism or whatever analogous power it might be called, uh, could really work thus in the absence of the operator and produce effects so extraordinary, still could those effects continue uh, when the operator himself was dead? And if the spell had been wrought and indeed the room walled up, more than 70 years ago, the probability was that the operator had long since departed this life. Mr. J-Dash, I say, was thus answering when I caught hold of his arm ah, and pointed to the street below. A well-dressed man had crossed from the opposite side and was accosting the carrier in charge of the van. His face, as he stood, was exactly fronting our window. It was the face of the miniature that we had discovered. It was the face of the portrait of the noble three centuries ago. Good heavens, cried Mr. J-Dash. That is the face of De V-Dash, and scarcely a day older than when I saw it in Raja's court in my youth. Seized by the same thought, we both hastened downstairs, and I was the first in the street, so now it's a guy who can live forever. But the man who had already gone, I caught sight of him, however, uh, not many yards in advance. In another moment, I was by his side. I resolved to speak to him, uh, but when I looked into his face, I felt as if it were impossible to do so. That eye, the eye of the serpent, fixed and held me spellbound. Withal, without the man's whole person, there was a dignity, a, an air of pride and station and superiority uh, that would have made anyone habituated to the usages of the world hesitate long before venturing upon a liberty or impertinence. And uh, what could I say? Uh, what was I to ask? Thus ashamed of my first impulse, I fell a few paces back still, however, following the stranger, undecided what else to do. Meanwhile, he turned the corner of the street. A plain carriage was in waiting, with a servant out of the livery, dressed like a valet de palace at the carriage door. In another moment, uh, he had stepped into the carriage and drove it off. I returned to the house, and Mr. J-Dash was still at the street door. He had asked the carrier what the stranger had said to him. Merely asked whom that house now belonged to. The same evening, I happened to go with a friend uh, to a place in town called the Cosmopolitan Club. Ooh, a place open to men of all countries, all opinions, and all degrees. One orders one's coffee, smokes one's cigar. One is always sure to meet agreeable, sometimes uh, remarkable persons. I had not been two minutes in the room before I beheld at a table, conversing with an acquaintance of mine, whom I will designate as by the initial G-Dash. The man, the original of the miniature. He was now without his hat, and the likeness was yet more startling. Only I observed that while he was conversing, there was less severity in the countenance. Uh, there was, a, there was, a, there was even, a, even a smile though very quiet and a cold one, the dignity of main, mine, M-I-E-N, mine, 
and acknowledged. Then the street was also more striking, a dignity akin to that which invests some uh, prince of the East, conveying the idea of supreme indifference and habitual, indisputable, indolent, but resistless power. G-Dash! Soon after he left the stranger, who took up a scientific journal, which seemed to absorb his attention, I drew G-Dash aside. Who and what is that gentleman? That? Oh, a remarkable man indeed. I met him last year amidst the caves of Petra, uh, the scriptural Edom. He is the best oriental scholar I know. Uh, we joined company and had an adventure with, uh, with robbers in which he showed a coolness that saved our lives. Afterwards, he invited me to spend a day with him uh, in a house that he had bought at Damascus. A house buried amongst the almond blossoms and roses. Uh, the most beautiful thing. He had lived there for some years, quite as an Oriental, in grand style. I have suspect he's a, a renegade, immensely rich, uh, very odd, by the by, uh, a great mesmerizer. Oh, there we go. I have seen him with my own eyes produce an effect on inanimate things. If you take a letter from your pocket and throw it at the other end of the room, he will order it to come to his feet. Is it mesmerism or is it just magic at that point? And you will see the letter wriggle itself along the floor. Still, it has obeyed his command. Upon my honor, tis true, I have seen him affect even the weather, uh, disperse or collect clouds by means of a, a glass tube or a wand. Uh, but he does not like talking of these matters to strangers. He's only just arrived in England, says he's not been here for a great many years. Uh, let me introduce him to you. Certainly. Uh, is he English, then? Uh, what's his name? Oh, a very homely one. Richards. Uh, what's his birth? His family? Uh, how do I know? What does it signify? No doubt from some parvenu, but rich, so infernally rich. G-Dash drew me up to the stranger, and the introduction was affected. The manners of Mr. Richards were not those of an adventurous traveler. Uh, travelers are in general constitutionally gifted uh, with high animal spirits. They were talkative, eager, and imperious. Uh, Mr. Richards uh, was calm uh, and subdued in tone uh, with manners which were made distant by the loftiness of punctilious courtesy and the manners of a former age. I observed that the English he spoke was not exactly of our day. I should have even said that the accent was slightly eh, foreign. But then Mr. Richards remarked that he had, had been in a habit for many years of speaking in his native tongue. The conversation fell upon the changes in the aspect of London since he had last visited our metropolis. G-Dash then glanced off to the moral changes, literary, social, political, uh, the great men who were removed from the stage within the last uh, 20 years, uh, the new great men who were coming on. In all this, Mr. Richards evinced no interest. He had evidently read none of our living authors and seemed scarcely acquainted by the name with our younger statesman, once, uh, and only once, uh, he laughed. And it was when G-Dash asked him whether he had any thoughts of getting into Parliament. And the laugh was inward, uh, sarcastic, uh, sinister, a sneer uh, raised into a laugh. After a few minutes, G-Dash left us uh, to talk uh, to some other acquaintances who had just lounged in the room. And then I said, uh, quietly, I've seen a miniature of you, Mr. Richards. In the house you once inhabited, perhaps built, if not wholly, at least in part, in blank 
or Dash Street. You passed by that house this morning. Not till I had finished did I raise my eyes to his. He fixed his gaze so steadily that I could not withdraw those fascinating serpent eyes. But involuntarily, and if the words that translated my thought were dragged from me, I added in a low whisper, I have a student in the mysteries of life and nature. Uh, oh, those mysteries I have known the occult professors. I have the right to speak to you thus. And I uttered a certain password. Well, he said dryly, I concede the right. What would you ask? A certain password? So there's just like an occult password you can say to other occultists? Also, if this guy can make inanimate objects move through mesmerism, why would you mess with him? Don't, t- don't say anything to him. Just hide. Get away from him. To what extent human will in certain temperaments can extend? Uh, to what extent can thought extend? Think. And there, before you draw breath, you are in China. Uh, True, but my thought has no power in China. Give it an expression, and you may have. You may write down a thought which sooner or later may alter the whole condition of China. Uh, What is a law but a thought? Therefore, thought is infinite. Therefore, thought has power. Not in proportion to its value. A bad thought may make a bad law. As potent as a good thought can make a good one. Yes, what you say confirms my own theory. Uh, Through invisible currents, one human brain may transmit its ideas to other human brains with the same rapidity as... Oh, God, we're doing this again. And a thought promulgated by visible means. And as a thought is imperishable, as it leaves its stamp behind its natural world, even when its thinker has passed out of this world, so the thought of the living may have the power to rouse up and revive the thoughts of the dead, such as those thoughts were in life. Though the thought of the living cannot reach the thoughts of which the dead now may entertain. Is it not so? I decline to answer. If, in my judgment, thought has limit, you would fix to it, but proceed. You have a special question you wish to put. He didn't put his question yet? Oh, God help me. Intense malignity and an intense will engendered by the particular temperament and aided by the natural means within the reach of science may produce effects like those ascribed to the old and evil magic. It might thus haunt the walls of a human inhabitation with spectral revivals of all guilty thoughts and guilty deeds, which once conceived and once done within the walls that were all, in short, with which the evil claims rapport, and the affinity and perfect and coherent fragmentary snatches of the old dramas acted therein years ago. Thoughts thus crossing... There's no question in here. Uh, each another haphazard is the nightmare of a vision growing up in the phantom sights and sounds and all serving to create horror. Uh, not because those sights and sounds were really visitations from a world without, uh, but that they were uh, ghastly, monstrous renewals of that which had been in the world itself set to malignment, play by a malignant for uh, mortal. And it is though the material agency of the human brain and those things that would acquire even a human power would strike up with a shock of electricity and might kill if thought with the person assailed did not rise superior to the dignity of the original sailor might kill the most powerful animal if under by fear but not injure, injure the feeblest man. If, while flesh crept, his mind stood out fearless. Thus, one, in old stories we read of a magician who went to pieces by the friends that had evoked still more of the eastern lands, and one magician succeeds in the arts of destroying another, and there may be so far true that the material thing be clever. I'm just reading this all for the first time, so I'm, as I read, my mind goes blank, and I start to wonder, like, are the words I'm reading coming out of my mouth, or am I saying something totally different? 
From its own evil propensity, certain elements and fluids, usually quiescent and harmless in an awful shape of terrific force, maybe lightning that had laid in, hidden in an innocent and cloud becomes, by natural law, suddenly visible, takes a distinct shape to the eye, and can strike the destruction of the object to which it is attracted. You are not without glimpses of a very mighty secret, said Mr. Richards, composedly. According to your view, you could, a mortal, obtain the power to speak of would be necessary to bring malignant and evil being. If the power were exercised, I said it would, the most malignant and evil, uh, though I believe in the ancient traditions that would not, uh, not injure the good. This could only injure those with whom it is established an affinity, over whom it forces uh, unrested a sway. I will now imagine an example which may be within the laws of nature, yet seem wild as the fables of a bewildered monk. You will remember the Albertus Magnus, after describing minutely the process by which spirits may be invoked and commanded odds, emphatically that the process will instruct and avail only to the few. That, in parentheses, uh, man must be born a magician. That is, born of a peculiar physical temperament as a man is born a poet. Rarely are men in those constitutional lurks the occult power of the highest order of an intellect. Usually in the intellect there is some twist at perversity or disease, but on the other hand, one must possess to an astonishing degree the facility of the concentrated uh, thought of a single object. Uh, the energetic faculty, which we will call the will, therefore, uh, through their intellect must not be sound. It is exceedingly forceful the uh, attainment of which she desires, and I will imagine such a person preeminently gifted with the constitution and its confinement forces. I will place him in the loftier grades of society. I will suppose that his Sires emphatically, those of the sensualist, has therefore a strong love of life. He is an absolute egotist, and he is concentrated in himself, has fierce passions, he knows no enduring holy affections, and he can covet eagerly what he wants for the moment and desires, and he can hate implacably what he opposes in himself and the objects, and he can commit fearful crimes and yet feel small remorse. Uh, he resorts rather to the curses upon others and to the penitence of the misdeeds, circumstances which constitution guides him, lead him to a rare knowledge of the natural secrets which may serve as egotism. He is a close observer where his passions occurred observation, and he is a minute calculator from not love of truth, but where love is self sharpens its facilities, uh, faculties, uh, therefore can be a man of science. I suppose such a being having an experience learned the power of his arts and others trying with the power of will over his own frame and studying all the natural philosophy may increase his power. He loves life. He dreads f uh, death. And his will lives on. He cannot restore himself to youth. He cannot entirely stay the progress of death. And he cannot make himself immortal of the flesh and blood. He may arrest for some time so prolonged to appear incredible as if said by hardening of the parts which constitutes old age. A year may age him no more than an hour. Age is another. His intense will scientifically trained into the system operates in short over the wear and tear of his own frame. Ah, he lives on. That may not be seem important and a miracle. He dies from time to time, seemingly a certain person's having schemed to transfer the wealth of the suffices that he wants. He disappears from one corner of the world. He contrives that his obsequies shall be celebrated. He reappears in another corner of the world where he resides unaffected and does not revisit the scenes of the former career until all those who can remember his features are no more. He would be profoundly miserable if he had affections, and he was none but for himself. No good man could accept his longevity and, no, and to no men, good or bad, would he or could he communicate his true secret. Such a man might exist, such a man as I have described I see now before me. Duke of Dash, in the court of Dash, dividing time between lust and brawl, alchemists and wizards again in the last century, charlatan and criminal with no lameness uh, noble, domicile to the house in which you gaze today, the flying from the law which you have outraged no one, wither, traveler, <sighs> One more visiting London with your same earthly passions which filled your heart and races now and no more walk through yonder streets and outlaw from the school, the nobler and diviner mystics, excruciable image of life and death and death of life. I warn you back from the cities and the homes of the healthful men, back to the ruins of departed empires and back to the deserts of nature unredeemed. There answered me a whisper so musical, so 
potentially musical, that it seemed to enter into my whole being and subdue me despite myself. And thus it said, I have sought one like you for the last hundred years. Oh, you're so smart. I need someone like you. Now I've found you. We part not till I know what I desire. The vision that sees through the past and cleaves through the veil of the future is in you at this hour. Never before, never to come again, the vision of no palling fantastic girl, of no sickbed sonambule, but of a strong man with a vigorous brain. Soar and look forth. As he spoke, I felt as if I rose out of myself upon eagle wings. All the weight seemed gone from the air, roofless from the room. Roofless, uh, the dome of space. Uh-oh. Oh, no, my friend's on his way. It was not in the body where I knew not, but aloft over time, over earth. Again, I heard the melodious whisper. Ah, you say right. I have mastered great secrets by the will, uh, the power of will. True, by will and science, I can, uh, retard. The process of years. But death comes not by age alone. Can I frustrate the accidents uh, which bring death upon the young? No. Every accident is a providence. Before a providence snaps every human will. Shall I die at last, ages and ages hence, by the slow inevitable growth of time, or by the cause that I shall call an accident? By a cause you call an accident. It is not the end of the still remote? Asked the whisperer with a slight tremor. Regarded as my life regards time, it is still remote. And shall I, before then, mix with the world of men as I ere learn these secrets, resume eager interest in the strife of their trouble, battle with ambition, and use the power of the sage to win the power that belongs to kings? You will yet play a part on the earth that will fill earth with commotion and amaze, for wondrous designs have you, a wonder yourself." Uh, been permitted to live on through the centuries. All secrets you have stored will then have their uses, and all that now makes you a stranger amidst the generations will contribute then to make you their lord. As the trees and the straws are drawn into a whirlpool as they spin round and are sucked to deep, and again tossed aloft by eddies, so shall races and thrones be plucked into the charm of your vortex. Hmm. Awful destroyer, but in destroying made against your own will a constructor. And that date, too, is far off? Eh, far off. When it comes, I uh, think your end in this world is at hand. How and uh, what is the end? Uh, look east, west, south, and north. In the north, uh, where you never yet trod toward the point where your instincts have warned you, there's a specter uh, will seize you. Uh, Tis death, exclamation point, and I see a ship that is haunted. Tis chased. It sails on. Baffled knaves sail after that ship. It enters the region of ice. It passes the sky red with meteors. Two moons stand on high over ice reefs. I see the ship locked between white defiles, and they are ice rocks. I see dead strew the decks, stark and livid, uh, green mold on their limbs. All are dead but one man. It is you! But years, uh, though so slowly they come, have then scathed you. There is the coming of age on your brow, and the will is relaxed in the cells of the brain. Still that will, though enfeebled, exceeds all man knew before you. Though the will you live on, through the will you live on, gnawed with famine. Nature no longer obeys you, and in that death-spreading region, the sky, the sky of iron, and the air has iron clamps. Uh, and the ice rocks, uh, <laughs> I said ass. 
and the ass rocks wedge in the ship. <laughs> I'm losing my mind. Hark how it cracks and groans. Ice will embed it as amber embeds a straw. And a man has gone forth, living yet from the ship, and it's dead. And he's clambered up the spikes of an iceberg. Uh, the two moons gaze down on his form. That man is yourself, and terror is on you. Terror, and terror is swallowed your will. And I see swarming up the steep ice rock, gray grizzly things. Ah, the bears of the north have scented their quarry, and they come near you and nearer, shambling and rolling their bulk. And in that day, every moment shall seem to you longer than the centuries through which you have passed. And heed this, ah, afterlife, moments continued make thee bliss or the hell of eternity. Hush, said the whisper, but the day you assure me is far off, very far, exclamation point. I go back to the almond and rose of Damascus, sleep. The room swam before my eyes, and I became insensible. When I recovered, I found G-Dash holding my hand and smiling. He said, uh, you, you have always declared yourself proof against mesmerism and have succumbed at last to my friend Richards. Where is Richards? Gone. When you pass into a trance, he's saying quietly to me, your friend will not wake for an hour. Well, all right, I should probably take a break here. Uh, I guess I'll try to wrap this up after my friend leaves. This book will never end. It's ridiculous. So thanks for listening, and I'll be right back. Well, that was a nice little break. Uh, my friend came over. And he said, let's go get something to eat. And I said, uh, what is it, 2019? What do you mean just go get something to eat? He said, let's go to the bar slash restaurant down the street from you, and we'll have a burger and a beer. And something inside me snapped, and I said, yes, I would very much like that. So we went down to the uh, bar slash restaurant by my house, and I had a huge burger with all the toppings, and I had two beers. And oh, God, it felt good. It was like the old days. Except for the part where three withered old men with weird, wispy hair uh, walked by wearing face masks that say Trump all over them. Eh, that's dumb. And then on top of that, they were staring out at the rest of us uh, out in our little tent. Kind of indignantly. Like, what do you think of this? Is anyone going to say anything about it? And I just thought, you're, you're not as cool or punk rock as you think you are. It's just kind of sad to watch these weird little old men trying to be all indignant and angry with their Trump masks. Oh, but my friend got worked up. And then we spent the rest of the time talking about politics. And I thought to myself, God, I hope everyone around us uh, agrees, because boy, he started talking loud. Hey. But it didn't ruin my beer and burger. I still ate those and enjoyed every minute of it. Well, I just sort of hummed to myself as he talked about Supreme Court justices and uh, the packing of the lower courts and on and on and on. But anyways, uh, so now I'm in a, in a pretty good mood and uh, back to reading this book. I've got uh, some kombucha here with me and uh, ready to dive in. So anyways, uh, it's come to last, my friend Richard's. Uh, where is Mr. Richards gone? You passed in your trance. Your friend will not may wake for an hour. I asked, as collectedly as I could, where Mr. Richards lodged. At the Trafalgar Hotel. Yeah, give me your arm, said I to G-Dash. 
Let us call on him. I have something to say. The guy can hypnotize you at the drop of a hat. Just stay away from him. When we arrived at the hotel, we were told that Mr. Richards had returned 20 minutes before, paid his bill, left directions with his servant, ooh, in parentheses, a Greek, to pack his effects and proceed to Malta by the steamer that should leave Southampton the next day. Mr. Richards had merely said of his own movements that he had visits to pay in the neighborhood of London, and it was uncertain whether he should be able to reach Southampton in time for that steamer. If not, he should follow into the next one. The waiter asked my name, and am I informing him? He gave me a note that Mr. Richards had left for me in case I called. The note was as follows. I wished you to utter what was in your mind, and you obeyed. I have therefore established power over you. For three months from this day, you can communicate to no living man what has passed between us. You cannot even show this note to the friend by your side. During three months, silence complete as to me and mine. Uh, do you doubt my power to lay uh, you on this command? Try to disobey me. At the end of the third month, the spell is raised. Uh, for the rest, I spare you. I shall visit your grave a year and a day after it has received you. So ends the strange story, which I ask no one to believe. I write it down exactly three months after I received the above note. I could not write it before, eh, nor could I show G-Dash. In spite of his urgent request, the note which I read under the gas lamp by his side. Oh, that's the end of the story? What kind of end is that? Ended that turd fest uh, in the worst possible way. Uh, how do we recap what happened here tonight? <coughs> we uh, we did a part two of a long ambling story, uh, which started out great in part one and uh, just kind of went off the rails. And then in part two, we learned that basically a spell was cast by a hypnotist. And a hypnotist that lives forever. And the person tracks down the hypnotist. And the hypnotist hypnotizes him. Which is dumb if you already know he's like supposed to be so powerful. Why would you mess with him? Just stay away. But I've already said that before. Uh, and then the hypnotist says, You can't tell anyone about this for three months or whatever. Or show anyone this note. <laughs> Boy, have I proved my point and aren't I special. And, and then the guy says, yep, he was right, and I'm writing about it now. And that's the end of the story. The story should have ended after he left the haunted house, but instead, he had to make it about some weird hypnotist, and then his interaction with him just kind of trails off into nothing. I can see why people make fun of this writer. Uh, it was rambling, and it was dumb. And it's put a, 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 a second bad dent into my Halloween excursions. I'm trying to have fun with spooky stories that make you feel creeped out after you read them. Uh, but so far, except for the ending of The House of Usher, eh, it's all been crap. Ugh. So, uh, the next story I'm going to read is The uh, Legend of Sleepy Hollow, which I should do this Sunday when my kids aren't around. But uh, hopefully that won't suck. I remember it being good, just like I remembered uh, the... Follow the House of Usher being great all the way through, but I was wrong about that. So, 
This could be the worst October of my entire life. And I also lost my job this October. This could be the worst October of 2020. Uh, the whole combination is just horrible and wrong. So with that, uh, thanks for listening. And let's hope the next episode uh, sucks less. <laughs>